are listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Thank you for joining me in this most important conversation we are having about being Christian and believing in a God of perfect love who is saving all of us. What we are doing is bringing back to life an early Christian vision of a truly good God. It kind of reminds me of those specialists in the art world who know how to clean up and restore faded masterpieces so that they can be brought back to their original beauty. What we are doing is a similar thing here in that we are bringing back to life and restoring the beauty to an early Christian vision of a truly good God. The problem is that we in Western civilization inherited an unhealthy Christianity featuring a God who is not all good, a God who eternally punishes people for temporal sins God knew they would commit in advance. God knew they would fail, being all-knowing, but then proceeded with creation anyway, thereby sealing their doom before they were ever born. Increasing numbers of us are realizing that it's time to realign our faith with a prior and far more hopeful vision of God, championed by early church fathers such as Gregory of Nyssa. In this episode of the podcast, we will be focusing on scriptural evidence for the first point in my five-point theology for this approach. And the first of my five points is this. God is a loving parent to all. God's parental love for us is an important place to start because people often don't feel that God really is their truly loving parent. And this is so detrimental because it undermines the confidence they need to have that they are securely included in the parental grasp of a truly loving God. We all need to believe that we are safe in God's care and that we are greatly valued by God, and that God's love for each one of us is just the same kind of love that wonderful parents have for their own dear children. And there is no better place to begin than with the Bible's declaration in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Not that God loves, but that God is love. That God is love is foundational because it establishes that love is the essence of God. We need to know that God is not trying to love us, that God isn't working up love for us. And that's because God is love itself. And so any experience of love is an experience of God, and any experience of God is an experience of love. Another reason the 1 John 4.8 verse is important is because the whole verse begins with this statement, anyone who does not love does not know God. And if we think about this, we realize that God and love can never be separated, because they are the same thing. And so anyone who is not loving does not know God. And any view of God that is not loving is not an accurate view of God. Fortunately, the Bible contains a wonderful definition of love, which not only tells us about love, but also tells us about God, since God is love. This definition of love is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter. And it sets it out this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, if this biblical definition of love is correct, then this is the kind of love that God is. And that implies a love that bears, hopes, believes, and endures all things for each one of us without us having to do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's all grace to us. God's parental love for us is part of God's grace towards us because grace is what we freely receive from God. Grace means we receive love from God even when we are behaving like enemies towards God. Nothing we do can make God love us more, and nothing we do can make God love us less. And that leads us to our next scripture, because in Matthew 5:43 to 45 we read where Jesus declares in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Notice that loving your enemy is not something you do just because you are supposed to do it or else you'll get into trouble. It's something you do so that you may be a child of your Father in heaven. In Hebrew culture, to be a child of is to express the quality of. So an encouraging person would be called a son of encouragement. A good example of this is an early follower of Jesus named Jonas, who was so encouraging that they gave him the nickname Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. To be a son of encouragement, then, is to be a person who demonstrates the quality of encouragement. Being a child of the Heavenly Father is, therefore, as Jesus says, being someone who is expressing the quality of the Heavenly Father who loves even enemies. All of this contributes to the idea that the constancy of God's love for us doesn't depend on whether we are being a friend or an enemy of God, because God equally loves friends and enemies, and if we are bearing the image of God in our own lives, we will be doing the same thing. And now we move to one of my favorite all-time passages in the New Testament. It's from the book of Acts, chapter 17, and it's where Paul is delivering a speech to the people in Athens. Now, we might imagine that if Paul was speaking to a group of pagans in Athens, he might start by letting them know that because they are sinners who've inherited the guilt of Adam and Eve's original sin, they are far from God because God is holy and God cannot come close to them, which is why God sent Jesus into the world so that fallen sinners might have the chance to have forgiveness of sin and come close to God by accepting Christ. And then we might expect that Paul would warn these pagans that if they don't accept Jesus, that God will ultimately have no choice but to put them in hell forever. But that's not what Paul said to these pagan people. He didn't tell them that they were sinners from birth infected by the original sin of Adam and Eve. He didn't mention that God had an eternal hell prepared for them if they rejected Jesus. No, instead he began his talk with them by complimenting them telling them that he could see how seriously they take their religion, that they even have an altar to an unknown God. And then he begins to try to explain to them that this God that they don't know, this God has been revealed in Jesus. And as part of his talk with them, he tells them this. In Acts 17, 27 through 29, we read where Paul tells them, God is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move, and have our being. 
as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. So what Paul tells these pagans is that God is not a distant God, not a God who makes themselves present in a statue in a shrine. No, the true God revealed by Jesus, Paul declares to them, is close to each and every one of them. And when we take all of this in, it means that there is actually no distance we can ever have from God, because God is the one in whom we are living and moving and having our being and that we are children of God. Paul even reminds these pagans that their own poets know about this. What this means is God is not something that we construct by using gold or silver or stone, precious materials, just the opposite. God is the one who is constructing us, for it is in God that we are living and moving and having our being. And if we are living and moving and having our being in God, I would add that this means that we are living and moving and having our being in love, because God is love. We are children of love, being formed in love, destined to be perfected in love. We can next turn to two important passages we find in one of Paul's letters contained in the New Testament. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 15, Paul describes God as the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then later on in Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul describes God as the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This means that every family tree has God at the top, and that God is our ultimate parent, who is over all of us and through all of us, and in all of us. And when we put all of this together, we get a biblical view of a good God who is truly loving us. This is a biblical picture of a God who is the perfect parent to all of us. What all of this means is that you are God's child. God loves you, and this love does not change no matter what you do. God's love for you is constant and patient. God's intentions toward you are kind. God bears all things for you. God believes all things for you, hopes all things for you. God endures all things for you. God's love for you never ends. And that's because God is love, and love never ends. God is not far from you. God is over you, and through you, and in you. And right now, you are living and moving and having your being in God. God is your eternal parent, and you are God's eternal child. You did not earn any of this, and you can't lose any of it either. It's all a gift. It's all grace. And it's all yours forever. Well, that's my first point. God is a loving parent to all. And we'll keep on now in our journey. Next time, we'll move on to the second of the five points in my theology. And the second point is this. God sincerely wants to save all. Until that time, I invite you to join me in believing in a grace that saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. 
You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.